Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. This hope, it does not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Now, when I read those verses, I can't help but to be honest with you and say, Paul, are you crazy? (laughs) Paul literally tells us in this verse to rejoice or to find joy in your problems. I mean, if you're like me, when I have a problem, I want to run away from those things. I want to stomp those out of my life. I want to wish them away. And, And Paul's literally saying, embrace those things. What is he saying here? Why is he saying this? And what's interesting about Paul is he's not just saying it in the everyday ups and downs of life, the struggles that we have, but Paul is also saying this in the face of death. If you've been with us over the last months, you know we're in the book of Acts. We looked at Acts 23 and 24 last week, and we said Paul's teaching this master class on how to endure hardship. And we said that there's ways to be faithful to Jesus, Paul teaches us. And then when we get to Acts 25, Paul is now on trial to face death. And now he's supposed to find joy knowing he could be executed at any time in his life. So let me ask you, how do you find joy in those circumstances? Especially the really difficult circumstances where you don't know what's going to happen, where the future looks dark. As a pastor, one of the most humbling privileges, and I say this as a privilege, is to sit with people when they're facing death. And to hear just the raw emotions that can come out, moments, whether it's minutes, hours, days, weeks before they know they take their last breath is truly almost like standing on holy ground. And what's so interesting, and I love the realness of people, is that lots of them are truly content with life and they're praising God, but others, even if they're solid Christ followers have been following for years, they have questions, they have doubts, they have struggles. Like this, they may say, why is God doing this to me? I'm not ready to go. I really believed God would heal me, but he didn't. Or what if I haven't done enough and God is angry with me? Or I've heard this as well. What if I'm angry with God? So the question today is, Paul tells us we can find joy in the trials and tribulations and problems of life. Not just the little problems or the medium problems, but even facing death like Paul does in Acts 25. Is it possible to find joy in it? And I'm hoping by the end of our time today, when you leave, it doesn't mean that your issues and problems are going to go away. It doesn't mean your diagnosis may be cured. It doesn't mean that you're not going to face death because the reality is all of us are going to. But how can you still have joy in the midst? Because joy is different than happiness. 
We're happy when life is going good, and we're sad when life isn't going good. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is finding peace and contentment despite the circumstances that you're facing. So is joy possible? So open up to Acts chapter 25. We're going to find out together. Let me begin in verse 1 and 2 with you. Three days after Festus arrived in Caesarea to take over his new responsibilities, he left for Jerusalem where the leading priests and other Jewish leaders met with him and made their accusations against Paul. Now, that man's name is Festus. It's not Uncle Fester. That's not who we're talking about. We're not saying Festivus like the holiday that the Seinfelds made up. It is Festus, who's this new governor, taking over for Felix. And as he steps in to be governor, he finds out about this troublemaker named Paul. And he goes with his, with his uh, leaders to find out more about Paul, if they should execute him or not. And here's Paul. He's just sitting in this prison cell waiting. Waiting to see what he's going to pronounce on him. Waiting to see if they're going to execute him in that moment or in the moments to come. And what's so stunning about Acts 25 is that there's really not a lot of dialogue at all with Paul. He's literally quoted about two or three verses. That's it. Most of Acts 25 is courtroom drama that you would see on court TV, on TV, trying to find these deliberations and trying to figure out is Paul guilty or not. But what's so powerful about Acts 25 when you really read it is that here is Paul and he's waiting execution. And in the waiting, he does not turn away from God. He does not curse God. He doesn't get angry with God. He doesn't turn his back on God. He waits patiently with joy. If you're like me, in the moment you're going through something, all you want to do is hit fast forward. What would it look like, instead of trying to fast forward through our trials, is to sit in them and to wait. And to be able to wait with joy. Right? We, said, we said joy is a peace and contentment even when we're going through Hardship. What would it look like to do that? So what we're going to do over the next few moments is, like I told you, Acts 25, there's not a ton there, but we're going to squeeze out all that we can. But we're also going to make some assumptions. We're going to make some assumptions based on who Paul is. We're going to make some assumptions on how he writes and how he lived his life. We're going to make some assumptions on how what the Bible just says about the struggles of life and how to find joy. And to be honest, I'm going to bring a little bit of what I have seen as a pastor and how I've seen people find joy in the midst of circumstances. And like I said before, in the waiting, instead of hitting fast forward, as you play it out in your life, what does it look like to find joy in those circumstances? So let's get started. The assumption number one we want to make is joy comes when we accept reality. Now again, going back to what Paul says in Romans 5.3, he says, When we can rejoice in problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. 
Now, if you go backwards just a little bit into the Gospels in John chapter 16, verse 33, what I love about Jesus is that he almost echoes, or he almost says the exact same thing that Paul says here. And what I love about Jesus is how real he is, just like Paul is in, in Romans 5. A familiar verse, but one that we need to look at this morning. John 16, says, Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Here's what's so beautiful about Paul and Jesus. Paul and Jesus don't say, okay, as you go through your life and as you follow Jesus, you may run into issues. You may have problems. There may be circumstances that you come up to that you're going to have to overcome. They don't say that, do they? They said, when you go through trials and tribulations, when you have these problems and sorrows on this earth. Jesus and Paul are trying to pump reality into our lives when oftentimes we want to deny reality. Like I said before, when, when we're going through hard circumstances in our lives, we don't want to accept them as reality. We don't want to ask the question, God, how can I learn from this? What are you teaching me in this? How can I find joy in these circumstances? What do we do? We eat a lot. At least that's what I do. <laughs> or we get our phones out. We just aimlessly scroll. Or we go to the bottle either a pill bottle or an alcohol bottle. Or we go to other people. Or we go to whatever that vice is that you and I go to because we want to drown out those issues in our lives. We don't want to face reality. And yet what Paul and Jesus are saying is, look, there is the reality of trials and sorrows. It's not if it'll happen, but when it will happen. And how will you deal with it? One pastor said, you will deal with it in one or two ways, either with frustration to the Lord or fruitfulness for the Lord. Frustration with the Lord is saying, how could you do this to me? I don't trust you. I can't believe you're allowing me to go through this. And I think Jesus would say, well, wait a minute. When you signed up for this, I told you. I told you this would happen. I promised you that you would go through hard times. That's why if you're ever watching a sermon on TV or you're listening to something and they're telling you to live your best life now and that you're going to be rich and it's going to be easy, that's called blasphemy. Because they're not quoting Jesus. They're quoting something that we call the prosperity gospel that doesn't fit in the Bible. Paul is literally in a prison cell waiting to die. Jesus was crucified. They said, this is going to happen. So you can be frustrated with Jesus. You can get angry with him. Or you can be fruitful in your sorrows. You could say, I, God, I wish this would end. And we can pray for it to end. But if it doesn't end, how can I go through this in a way that glorifies you? That's why Paul says you can learn endurance. Endurance means to press on, to keep going forward. When all you and I want to do is just quit and lie in bed and wish you would go away. When you and I, all we want to do is drown out uh, the struggles with more Netflix binges and going to the bottle. When we just want it to end, Paul says, go forward, press on. There is something that you can learn in this. Jesus says, you will have these trials and sorrows, but take heart. That literally means have courage. Have courage because I've overcome the world. 
I am in this with you. I have overcome all the big problems in your life. And in the end, you win. So trust me in it. Look for ways for you to grow. Look for ways to bless others, even in the midst of the pain that you're going through. Frustration with God that leads to bitterness and leads to the habits that you and I know that we go to or fruitfulness for God, saying, God, I will press forward. I will trust you. I will be courageous through it. What option will you choose? You see, if we choose the latter, fruitfulness for God, then we can make our next assumption here. Joy comes when we accept the possibilities. Here's Paul. He's in this prison cell, and Festus, he's trying to figure out what to do. And this new governor, he is probably a people pleaser, and he wants to please the Jews, and they want him to go to Jerusalem for trial. And so they go to Paul and they say, Paul, how about you go to Jerusalem and stand trial? And here's what we read in verse 10. Paul says, no way. Here's why. This is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. And you may read that, you're like, what's the big deal? Here's what the big deal is. Paul claims his Roman citizenship here. And as a Roman citizen, guess what? You get a fair shot at a Roman trial. Which means you can then appeal to Caesar and go to where he is, which is in Rome, and have a trial you deserve because of your Roman citizenship. And that's why Paul says in verse 11, I am appealing to Caesar. I want to go there. And you may sit back and say, well, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. If you've read about Paul, you know his heart is in Rome. He loves those people. You read his letter to the Romans and you just sense his pastoral heart. And what he's thinking right now is, hmm, maybe instead of being here in jail and getting bitter with God and being frustrated with God, what fruitfulness can I have? What possibilities could there be? I know I'm going to go to Rome where I can preach the gospel and share Jesus with more people. I can turn this trial into something incredible and allow people to know Jesus through it. I mean, if you read Romans chapter 1 right away, Paul says, one of the things I just pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. Paul is saying, even if I'm a prisoner, if I can get to you, it's worth it. Because I still can encourage you in your faith, and we can go out and tell other Gentiles, which are non-Jews, about the gospel. I mean, there's possibilities in the trials, in our bad circumstances, if we look for them. Again, Paul doesn't sit there and say, oh, I just want it to be over with. I can't stand these guys. Why is God doing this? He says, okay, it is what it is. I'm going to press on, and I'm going to go try my very best to see the best possibilities that God is teaching me and other people through it. That's why in Romans 5 it says, I'm going to teach you endurance. What does it say next? It leads to character. I don't know about you, but it's in the trials, not in the good times. It's in the trials that shape and reveal what's really here in my life. It's in the trials that lead to character, then what leads to the hope of our salvation, that we realize, God, you're good in this, and what can I do in order to glorify you through it? There's this painter. His name is John Sargent. He was a painter in the 1800s, an American painter, and he found himself in Italy, and 
as he was there, he found out amongst other people that the train was going to be late. And all these people, they start to grumble. They're like, are you kidding me? It's hot out here. Now we're going to be late to our engagement or whatever it is. And these people are just grumbling. Well, not John. John, he gets out all of his paint supplies. He puts an easel up. He sees oxen over in this yonder here. Yeah, yonder. Is that the right word? Yonder. And he starts to paint this beautiful masterpiece. The possibilities in the midst of a trial that we have if we say, God, the fruitfulness. Will I just grumble and be upset or could I be constructing a masterpiece with you in this moment? I think of this guy who started this company, this pizza place called Good Pizza. It's in Philadelphia. It's one of my favorite stories that come out of the pandemic. Just like we were relocated to our homes and our condos and our apartments a lot of through 2020, this gentleman was as well. And as he's sitting around in his apartment, he's just thinking about all the people that are suffering. He's thinking about himself and he's struggling with all the stuff that all of us are struggling with. Loneliness, uh, not having contact with our family and friends. We don't really have a purpose right now. And he starts to think back about all the family times that he had. And he's like, man, when we were with family, we ate. And so he started to think about something that he liked to eat. And so he started to make pizzas just right in his oven. And he started to make the dough himself. And he would get the ingredients to make homemade sauce and the cheese and the toppings and all those things. He started to make it and then he started to put it out on social media. And he had this apartment that was about the second or third floor. And he would make these pizzas and they were free to anybody that wanted them. And he would use a pulley system to pulley the pizzas down. And then people could take it and then make a donation. Well, this got picked up in the news. It got picked up on some daily shows. This pizza review guy that I watch, he went right to him. And this place, this guy exploded. And he went from 10 followers on, social, on Instagram to 10,000 followers. And he made hundreds upon hundreds of pizzas. Till the end of this, he donated over $30,000 by making one pizza at a time to local homeless ministries in Philadelphia. Oh, the possibilities. He could have just sat in his apartment and be like, man, this stinks. Why is the government doing this? Why is God doing this? Why can't we just go out? But instead, he didn't complain. He didn't grumble. He looked at creating a masterpiece. He looked at how could this reveal my character. He made pizzas and donated the profits. Frustration with God or fruitfulness for God. This past week, we hosted uh, the Enderly showing and funeral for our dear friend, Todd Enderly. If you know Todd, even if you don't, Todd was just a normal, everyday guy, worked at PPG for 40 years. He was a farmer, just a normal dude. But what he did in the midst of his life was one basic thing that changed everything. He trusted God. And he lived out the Bible. And on Tuesday evening, we had between two and 3,000 people conservatively come to his showing. By 7 o'clock, it was supposed to be over. And there was a three-hour wait at 7 o'clock. On, on that next day, his funeral was in here. 
There were over 700 people here. And we had the opportunity to share the gospel about Jesus. And Pastor Charles and I are standing right here, and here's the family standing right here. And during worship, they just praised God. And I heard them say over and over again to people in line, to people after the funeral on social media, they kept saying, if someone comes to know Jesus through this, it was worth it. Someone that's in a very poor life situation right now, who's waiting in now a prison, God, what are you going to do? Could have just been bitter with God and went through this terrible showing and funeral and just got through it, but they looked at this as an opportunity, a possibility to shine the light of Christ for people to see. I am not telling you that your situation is going to get better. In fact, it could get worse. Because Paul, he ends up dying eventually. But in the midst of it, you, now, you and I know we can take one path or the other. This frustration with God or, or we accept reality and then we see the possibilities that could be. You know what's so great about Paul? Spoiler alert, at the end of Acts, he went to Rome. And for a few years, he was there spreading the news of Jesus, and no one tried to stop him. He got where he needed to be. He saw the possibilities, and he shared Jesus until he couldn't anymore. Do you see the possibilities? And what are you doing about it? Number three, joy comes when we trust in the love of God. We talk about the love of God like it's a romantic thing, but truly, it's a daily deliberate choice to realize that the cross is real and to accept that even in the most painful circumstances. And oftentimes when life is good, you can take the love of God for granted. Yesterday I got to perform a wedding and it was at this place that looked like it was in a magazine and these, this couple sitting there and we're talking about love and they are just so in love. It's the perfect situation, a perfect wedding day. I mean, it's a fairy tale. If I told them, hey guys, you're in love, aren't you? They would be like, yes, this is it. We love each other. Well, let's ask them in a couple weeks <laughs> or a couple months and years. Are you still in love, right? We know when our wedding day, we can, oh man, I love this. But when the grind of life starts, are you still loving each other? And sometimes it's not that we fall out of love, but we forget so quickly because circumstances are hard and we get used to each other and we need to remember again. We need to remember what we signed up for in the first place. We need to remember our vows to each other. We need to remember why we fell in love in the first place. And the same is true with the Lord. If everything is good, you're like, yes, Lord, I love you. You love me. But when it's not, we forget so quickly that the cross is still the cross. And that it's a display of unconditional love for you and me. And that's why Paul says if you go through this whole process of endurance and character and salvation. Then he says this, and then you'll find this hope that will not disappoint you. For we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. That's what God wants to do. It's what he wanted to do for Paul. It's what he wants to do for you. He wants to fill your hearts with his loving and to remind you of what he did for you and he continues to do for you. Maybe some of us in this room, we've just forgotten 
Maybe because we're so focused on the circumstances, focused on anything else, we forgot that this God, what he did, what he did for us. You need to go back to that moment where you said yes to Jesus. Maybe you were a four-year-old, or maybe you were a teenager, or maybe it just happened recently. But go back to that time when you discovered the love of God. And then look back at your life. Don't just focus on the circumstances. Look back at God's faithfulness and his love for you, that he continues to pursue you and he cares about you and is unconditional with you even when we're so conditional with him. Pause and remember that today. To help you remember that, let me just walk through a few psalms with you. Psalm 130, 2 through 5. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with the love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. Remember that today. Remember his love for you. Psalm 105.5, remember the wonders he's performed, his miracles and the rulings he's given. Remember his justice. Remember all the ways he's come through for you. Psalm 143, verse 5, I ponder all your great works and think about what you have done. Psalm 136, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. God's love is not based on your performance. It's not based on circumstances. It's not based on if he's happy or mad with you. God's love is based on the cross that he gave himself for you and will always give himself for you. The only way that you can find joy in the prison cell today is to remember that and to press into that and live in that today. Paul, he does that. That's why Paul can say with certainty, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I told you at the beginning that we have the privilege, and I use that word purposely, we have the privilege of sitting with people as they're facing death, just like Paul was in Acts 25. Pastor Charles got the chance to do so with a woman named Mary Gall. Mary went to our Norwalk campus so faithful. She adopted Roz Boffman, if you know who Roz is, and the Boffman family that's so faithful to the chapel. Pastor Charles went over one morning, days before she died, and delivered her her favorite, just a simple hot fudge Sunday from McDonald's, and went over, and she just recounted her life, thought about the joy that she truly had in Jesus, despite her circumstances. And at the end of their conversation, Again, days before she took her last breath, Pastor Charles got his phone out and recorded a prayer from her. And I want to play that prayer for you in a moment. And when we do that, I don't want it just to be her prayer for her life, 
I want it to be her prayer for you. Whatever prison cell you find yourself in, whatever circumstances that you're facing now or you'll face soon, you can have joy. Joy comes when you say, okay, this is the reality of life because Jesus said it would be. And now I need to look for the possibilities of what could come out of this. And at the end of the day, no matter what I face, I am convinced that God's love is always for me, no matter what I face. Let's allow Mary to pray for us. Would you mind praying for us? Me or why don't you pray? Well, how about this? Why don't you pray and then I'll, and then I'll pray after you? Father, thank you for the way you've lived in my life. Thank you for the legacy that maybe I'll be leaving. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great Sunday.